The following episode is one of 10 sample programs podcast as a public service of FocusedPassion.com. Get an even higher education, including courses in personal empowerment and self-mastery at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the E-D, that's FocusedPassion.com. Welcome to another episode of our personal empowerment audio series, Finding Yourself in Paradise. Hi, I'm Michael Benner. And I'm Steve Snyder. And our program today is called Lies of All Sizes. We're going to talk about everything from the little tiny lies like, I don't know anything about your surprise party, all the way up to the big, yes, we're certain there are weapons of mass destruction in Saddam Hussein's very hands. You know, the size of the lie is significant, but the fact is, a lie is a lie, and uh, there's all kinds of them. There's exaggeration is a lie, there's lies of omission, lies of commission, there's slander, there's libel, there's all kinds of lies, and there's all kinds of sizes that those lies come in. So do you think everybody lies sometimes, Steve? I would be lying to say that I think that there is any person who has been 100% honest 100% of the time. What about this point forward? What if I promise you and I say, Steve, I really, really, really promise I'll never lie again. You know, I think that there are situations where there are people who have never lied to each other and never would lie to each other. That certainly does exist. Uh, But, in fact, I have that in my marriage. I'd never lie to my wife. She knows I wouldn't do that. I'd never lie to her. She'd never lie to me. But, but... There's a difference, for example, between making a promise that you intend to keep at the time and then later on not keeping it. In essence, that turns it into a lie, although it wasn't a lie at the moment. It does become a lie. So in in that respect, anybody who's made a promise and for whatever circumstances couldn't keep it, they wouldn't qualify as a 100% truth teller, would they? I want to come back and talk about that. Also, the idea of, of, of just exaggeration or well, I needed to lie, you know, so for a greater truth, there's all kinds of... There are times when it's just so darn convenient and anything else would be so difficult that I, I, I wouldn't say it should never be done. How about this, though? What's it mean to lie to yourself? Well, and, you know, if you're fooling yourself, then who's fooling who? You know, what it means to lie to yourself is you're really not lying to all of yourself. You can only possibly be lying to part of yourself because the part of yourself that's doing the lying knows it's lying to the part of yourself that it thinks it's fooling. But can we forget about that part? Forget that we made this up? I think we can be in denial. Yeah, we can sort of be in an ignorant place, either very stressed out or just so focused elsewhere that we can pretend in our own minds that what we're the lie that we're living is true. But I think somewhere, all of us, with the exception, of course, of sociopaths, have this conscience thing, and we do experience feeling guilt or regret or remorse, certainly stress. As we know, any time there's lying involved, there's always stress involved with the lying, unless you're a sociopath. Boy, that's an amazing observation. Let's follow that up for sure. Lying is stressful to me, suggests that we have some sort of inherent ethical code in our DNA. If it puts distress upon our system to tell lies, and telling the truth then promotes health and clear understanding and emotional sensitivity, that really says a lot about bringing with us, it seems, some sort of sense of Right and wrong, good and bad, what's really better? I think so. And I think, I think you actually could explain it chemically 
by saying that, well, when you tell a lie, there's a part of you that knows that if you get caught, something bad is going to happen. So all kinds of chemicals start to go into your brain to protect you from the danger of something bad happening if you get caught in that lie. It's multitasking begins. Anytime you lie, you're multitasking. You got to remember what you said last time and how does that fit with everything I said before and all the other time. So there's lots of stuff going on inside your brain and lots of chance, lots of danger possibilities. And the, the brain is geared to deal with possible dangers if it's real danger because, like, just in case, you know, let's put survive. Because we're descended from the most paranoid. Just, just because it might be dangerous, let's act as if it is dangerous. So, just might be. So anytime we lie, we move into stress. That's what lie detectors measure. They don't measure, you know, truth or lies. They measure whether or not you're stressed, you know. And, but we're and more than chemicals. It's true. I mean, it's true. I mean, I, I think that when we tell the truth and we feel good, then we have serotonin and norepinephrine and dopamine. And, and when we lie and we're worried about we have adrenaline and we have, we have uh, all kinds of sugar and all kinds of stuff. So there's well, a chemical. But, but I think why is that? Let's go deeper. Yeah. Why is However that? However you account for that. Because we do have, I believe, as you do, there is a a moral goodness about human beings with rare exceptions. There's a, that we don't have to be taught by, by parents or by religion or by school or by anyone what is good and what is bad. Hurting people is bad. It feels bad. It always feels bad. Doing nice things for people feels good. Being honest feels good. Lying feels bad. We just know this from early, early on in our lives. Parenting certainly has a huge, huge amount to do with it, but I think even inherently, we just know. Well, I guess you're suggesting that there's reward then in telling the truth also, that in addition to the extra vitality or the clear conscience or the health promotion benefits or the clarity in terms of intelligence advantages that come with it, that this too would be part of evolution. This is the reward for responding to life by staying safe and relaxed and responsible for your life, I guess, is what we're saying, right? Yeah, by telling the truth, you become safer to be around. I mean, the bottom line is when people lie, then they're not safe. You're in danger in their presence. Well, here's what I'm thinking. Would you agree with me that there are many people, I won't venture a percentage, a number, who believe that whether they lie or tell the truth or go back and forth or find some sort of middle ground where everything is sort of gray, that what difference does it make? Everybody else lies. Everybody else is exaggerating. And that nobody really will ever know. It's just your word against their word. I mean, it's sort of sociopathic, but I think it's to a lesser degree common in a lot of people's thinking. Would you agree with that? I would say it's circumstantial. That is, in a lot of people in certain circumstances in their lives, that's the way they think. They may not think that way about their wife or their husband or their kids, but they may think that way about their customers. Or they may think that way about their vendors or the people that they uh, they manage. So, so, yeah, I do think that people do tend to come up with this, this is my role, I'm playing this role, this is what everybody else does. When you're in this role, you do this thing, and, and lying is just lying a part just of that. Lying just goes with it. Yeah, it's just a part of everybody it. Everybody you know? lies. Yeah, every, everybody lies. And, you know, I mean, I don't lie to my, they could justify it or rationalize it. I don't lie to my wife. I don't lie to my kids. But, yeah, of course I lie to the customers because otherwise the, the other vendor that uh, does lie to them has too big of an advantage over me. So There's so many different reasons to tell a lie also. The the various intention, for example, could be just like I'm trying to avoid some responsibility uh, or, or guilt for something that 
I really regret having done or said that kind of a lie. But then to tell a lie that manipulates another person and changes their life, affects their life, causes them some hurt or distress. And then the lies that are designed to deliberately frighten people. We're seeing a lot of that in current events right now with the health care debate Indeed. this summer. And we saw it in the financial crisis uh, just a few months back. The, and the war before that. Indeed. The conscious, deliberate use of fear as a weapon. And right. so lies and lying uh, have an intimate relationship with fear, I think, to a lot of people or even to us as philosophers who are going, let's see if we can flesh this out a little bit. Why, why are we lying? And what do we do to our neighbors when we lie? Why have we been admonished by religious prophets and all religions? Don't do this thing. Like, don't kill people, don't take their stuff, don't covet their partners, and uh, don't lie. I mean, it's a pretty major deal. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it can be underestimated. You know, it's important. Yeah, don't steal. Don't steal life. Don't steal stuff. Don't steal love you know that's that's mainly it but besides that it's like tell the truth you know tell be honest and being radically honest in in relationships where it matters i think you know truth is this not this black or white thing obviously there's uh, you know the whole truth and nothing but the truth and then there's uh, some things that are mostly true and somewhat exaggerated so it's a, it's relative a, truth relative so it's a whole there is the capital t truth i suppose like 2 plus 2 equals 4 but most other truth like Vanilla ice cream is good. It's pretty relative, you know. It's a good point. In esoteric philosophy, it's usually considered that in the horizontal sense, all truth is relative to some degree. Something might be 99% true, but there's still that rare Sheep or white, you know, but there could be that black one. And then in the vertical, you have the idea of the absolute at the top, which would be some sort of over-spiritual, overarching godhead. That would be the ultimate. In fact... In philosophy, absolute is often used as a synonym for Godhead or the ultimate God of gods, you know, the very center, the engine of it all, the intention, whatever that is, the absolute. But down here on the horizontal, the idea is that's a very liberal idea that no matter how much I disagree with you, no matter how much you might frighten me, no matter how tempted I may be to lie or exaggerate, to try to win some kind of argument here that, like the yin and yang, there's a dot of the opposite in each. There's got to be a little bit of merit, a little bit of truth in your adversary's position. And to see that is to be wise, to, to look for the truth. The merit may be small from your point of view, but to seek some point of validity in that other person's argument is, I think, to pull upon real wisdom and to have, in most cases, an advantage over your opponent as well. Yeah, real wisdom comes when you can find a way to go sit on your opponent's side of the table rather than <laughs> to have to be opposing them, you know. Right. And and by finding something right in all the wrong things they're saying, that's exactly the approach. There's truth in lies. There's lies in truth. You know, it is a relative thing. But let's take it from the tiniest to the biggest. I mean, the tiniest lies are the ones to avoid discomfort or to, I don't, you know, I have difficulty with this kind, um, the, the birthday surprise party kind, 
where people say, keep this secret, like we're, we're surprising your wife and we don't want her to know, so don't say, and I've got this thing, I don't lie to my wife, so I, I would hate that. I'd hate to be in a position where I'm supposed to like, I, it's like it's like supposed to be a good lie, right? You're lying to so something nice would happen. That kind of lie, and then the other kind where I don't have. I a, sometimes wonder who surprise parties are really for. The person who's throwing them is what I think. I, but, I rather you know, than the person received that surprise. Here's a gift. We're going to surprise, shock, and maybe even frighten you on your birthday. <laughs> right, right. We we're going to turn the day into something that you had never envisioned before. We know you'd been waiting a whole year for this day and planted in your mind. I don't like surprise parties myself. I My just really gift don't. Is adrenaline here? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like. I mean, I like truth. I really do. The, the one time I can remember lying uh, and feeling okay about it, not too long ago, a couple, few years ago, walking back when we lived in L.A., walking down the streets in L.A., it, downtown, where I rarely, rarely was, and this really decrepit, skid row alcoholic smelling of, of alcohol just came right into my face, inches from my face, and said, hey, buddy, you got any extra money? Well, I did. You know, I had some extra money, but I said no and walked. I should I could have said, I have a great deal of extra money, but you can't have any, you know. But I, I, I would be happy to help a, a hungry person if they weren't reeking of alcohol. But you give somebody reeking of alcohol money and they're going to spend it on alcohol. I won't do that. So, so I lied. I said, no, I don't have any. It was easier for me, and I just walked on. I think you have to trust your feelings. I remember some lengthy discussions in class in L.A. with students about, the dilemma of encountering street people. And what we came to, most of us, I think, agree on was the idea that if in the moment this person frightens you as they approach, you have the right to feel a need to defend yourself and maybe defend yourself by walking away quickly and not making eye touch. If, on the other hand, you feel your heartstrings being tugged and you really are sympathetic and you connect somehow with this person... Well, of course, then to be Christ-like or to be generous, you know, is a wonderful feeling to follow up on. But to, who's who's teaching people to trust their instincts? Uh, you and I, actually a lot of people, but not nearly enough yet. That's a smart way to handle that. And, and this, you put out the difference between instincts and intuition. So well, really, we want, to, we want to trust our intuition, not really our instinct. That's true. Intuition is the finer. Instinct can come from fear. Right. Intuition always comes from peace and love. Exactly. So follow that. You know, you know the admonition, follow your heart. There is no follow your fear. Okay. Yeah. Making Harry Potter. Follow the spiders. Why isn't that ever follow <laughs> the butterflies? <laughs> So we have the same kind of situation here when we're tempted to tell a lie, a fib, a big one, a giant one, or a little fib, or um, just exaggerate or whatever. Ask ourselves, get conscious, find yourself in that place where you're mindfully aware of the choice. And is this temptation to lie coming from fear or coming from love? Or somewhere in between. But what is it mostly? Is it an oh no or an oh boy? Is it causing you to breathe or to hold your breath? Just look at your body. How's it responding to this? And there you know the, the right thing to do. You, you follow the light. You go toward the light. It's pretty remarkable how the intuition always knows the truth. It always knows the easiest 
path of least resistance which is always the truth. If for no other reason, I mean, what Mark Twain talked about it, for no other reason, tell the truth just because it's so darn hard to lie. I mean, it's just so much work. There's so much stuff you have to remember. Telling the truth causes a, a real feeling of safety. And when in a relationship, especially when you know you're going to tell the truth and you know the truth is going to be told you, then you can let down all your barriers. I mean, if you're afraid of being lied to, you got to be alert, uh, wary, you know, and if you're going to be lying, of course, you got to remember everything from the past you said. So it's just easier to tell the truth. But I think that the point we made earlier that, that there's something inherent in each of us that just knows this and it just guides us towards the truth and what always moves us away from telling the truth. The only thing that I can think of that would cause us to lie would be fear. And by that, I mean fear-based emotions, you know, negative emotions like oh, greed or anger or hatred or jealousy. They're all really based on underneath them hurt and then underneath the hurt comes the fear but the bottom line is if you're feeling safe then there's really no reason to lie there's no reason if your self-esteem is feeling good then there's no reason to exaggerate and say you're more or better than you actually are so there's no lying in love and no love in lying right and i don't think there's anything quite as pure as un, as this, you know, total love, immersed in love with, with no lying at all involved. I don't know that that really exists from day one in the instant, but I think it's something that can be developed. I think this is love your neighbor. Yeah, yeah well, it does come out I think to that. this is love your enemy. It don't, gives you the power. Don't lie to them. It, it, for no other reason than you always win when you never give up the moral high ground. You always win when you're the one that stood on the truth and they didn't. Well, you redefine winning by saying... Inside that, yourself. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know you did the best you could do. Right. And nobody can take that away from you. No, it's yours. You, it, But when you lie, there's going to be depending on the person, you know, how much, but there's going to be some regret, there's going to be some remorse, there's going to be some shame, there's going to be some guilt. All those things are really icky. And, you know, they, they take away from everything else we do in the world. They are like a, they're like a coating of silt that just sort of gets in the gears of everything else we do. And this toxic shame from lying and especially when you're still on, like, wondering if you're ever going to get caught in it, you know, if it's not over yet. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. You're in the middle of it, you know, and, and you're still weaving the web of lies. Like, when's it all going to come tumbling down? That kind of fear is just so toxic to the human being. Usually, it's easier, in the, the little lies especially, it's easier to lie in the moment and much, much, much harder in the long run. But, boy, if you tell the truth in the moment, as hard as it happens to be, it certainly makes it much, much easier in the big picture. Well, and then don't you suppose there's a passage or a stage, a point at which people then assume the identity and would admit, probably to few, if any, I am a liar. I am one who lies. And take that identity on, it would seem that would just sort of take it up a notch or maybe, yeah. you know, redouble to amplify the stress and the anxiety that comes along inevitably with the lying. And causing more lying cover-up and more lying. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was raised by one of those. My father was a liar, you know, and ended up uh, lying to my mom, lying to the family, deserting the family one day, never said goodbye, never saw him again, lied about a lot of things as we were to discover, you know. Uh, I think it was a real 
important lesson in seeing how much lies can hurt somebody for me. I, I wasn't always uh, as good at telling the truth as I am now, and in this relationship... Oh, that's a nice yeah. way to say that. Yeah, well... You know, <laughs> so I mean, you've forgiven yourself. Well, yeah, for the most part. I mean, there there aren't any outstanding lies that I've told that I haven't worked through or dealt with. Uh, I, I feel clean. I don't feel any, any anxiety or shame about old lies. I don't think I... Uh, evolved as quickly as some might have, but I did evolve. And again, in new relationships and in uh, and in my relationship with my wife, I, I just I we we practice radical honesty. I I'm thinking of the other end of the equation. I'm thinking how important this must be in early childhood development. Like the first time a child lies to you deliberately, eyeball to eyeball, blatantly. Yeah. Lies to you, and you know it. You know, and yet, you know, I I have a lot of problems with the tooth fairy and Santa Claus, and you know, I mean, parents start it. You know, I mean, it's 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 not something that's we teach kids how to do this. Now, thing. this brings us to the area that I really have been looking forward to bringing up with you, and that's the idea of lying as exaggeration. Because it can be argued that, well, it's not really a lie. Well, the Easter Bunny, okay, that's really dumb. But Santa Claus is a spirit or a, a, a deva, an elf, a jolly old elf, representing the the love of giving. In, yeah. in and there the was a of, Saint Nicholas. I visited his grave in Turkey. I mean, such a guy did. But exist. it's all symb- but symbolic it's, metaphor, and, right? But the parents, nonetheless, cross the line when they talk about the flying reindeer and the coming down the chimney. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, <don't know>. that's, <laughs> I think that's part of the fun and the magic. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm Jewish. I don't know. But it just always struck me as very, it. very ludicrous. Yeah, you know. That's it. You, but I know you didn't miss out on all that Christmas. Oh fun. no, no, we had we had Christmas and Hanukkah. You know, all the gifts I could get. It's it's an arguable point, and uh, reasonable people can disagree. We do have this weird guy named Elijah that's supposed to come in and sit down and eat with you at Passover. You know, it's not like it's not like any religion is free of this kind of stuff. Remember on Saturday Night Live, Hanukkah, Harry. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good too. But again, the intention. It would be argued. The intention is to create this magic. And however, again, I, I, I personally did not have any children. I do not have children. So I never had to really face the dilemma. But I'd like to think that what I would say, since you don't want to wreck everybody else's time, you can't tell your kid too early and then say, now you're not supposed to tell anybody because you know they will. So there's a lot of pressure just to sort of go along with it. And then, well, how do you help them recover from mommy and daddy have lied? And if they lie about Santa, then surely they're lying about God because they never really understood how they were different anyway. They just, they just, well, Santa was at the North Pole and God's in the temple or the church or the mosque downtown, but still. The confusion between praying to some higher power or magical powers is pretty clear. I think if you just say, look, in the literal sense, it's a lie to say Santa Claus exists. But in a metaphorical sense or in sense of allegory, and you're old enough now to understand that some things are just symbols or ways of teaching stories to help people understand. And there is a magic at Christmas. You can feel it. There is a magic. When a family sits down around a, a table, even in 
any evening of the week. If you can get the family together around the table, there's a magic there. There should ideally be a magic there. Not TV tables in front of the evening news, but get that family together. In a high computer age, high tech age, what we're moving into rapidly, there's never been a greater need to make these kinds of connections. And that's where we'll find the safety that allows us to tell the truth. And Boy, what a nice thing to be able to just cast off the burdens of lying to people and know that from this point forward, I'm going to start telling the truth, the highest quality of truth I can tell without hurting other people. There may be times I have to hold back a little on truth, right? I seem to recall way in the foggy memories of my youth, the a Lucy and Ricky episode about they had to tell the truth for 24 hours and it almost destroyed the marriage. <laughs> so you tell the highest quality of truth you can tell without hurting other people is the way I like to say it. That's a nice way of looking at it. You know, to me, the distinction, uh, you know, getting back to the, the Santa Claus and Tooth Fairy thing, the distinction was clear early on because I learned to read at such a young age. I knew the difference between fantasy and or in fact i mean i knew the difference between what was real and what wasn't real i knew about santa claus i think it was a cool fantasy i thought all kinds of cool fantasies and i i think um in my house we lived a lot of cool fantasies because my dad was a dreamer so he'd always talk about the next job he was going to have or you know the vision he had for us becoming wealthy and so we spent a lot of time in fantasy and we knew it wasn't real we knew it was fantasy I think that's the way you can have a Santa Claus or have a tooth fairy and not lie to your children. You can explain that fantasy is very important. You need to fantasize. You need fantasy makes Christmas a wonderful experience. But it's a, it's there's a difference between what's fact and what's fiction. And I think that's a real important distinction. Yeah, and and to make it clear as soon as you can. I, I presume all parents want to protect their children at the same time they recognize their responsibility to introduce the child to an often cold and sometimes cruel reality out there. Yeah, but they're introduced to the difference between fact and fantasy er, way earlier than they can talk. I mean, they see television, they see baby Einstein videos or whatever they're looking at. They can be taught what's real and what's not real earlier on than to, they get to the moral dilemma, is Santa Claus an actual being or not? I think it's important for parents to teach children the difference between fantasy and reality, between fact and fiction, as early as possible. And so that they don't have to perpetuate a lie when the child is old enough to understand the difference between the, the truth and the not truth. Yeah, well, I'm good with that. As soon as possible. As that soon makes, as possible. Yeah, that makes you know. perfect sense. But you can see the difficulty at the same time. If you told a kid at uh, age two, this is only a game, it's real, and then at three, this is only a game, because surely she shouldn't bear the burden of having to keep that secret, do you think? Well, us Jews had to, you know. I, mean? I, I think that's a challenge. It seems to me. My mom told me early a, on that this Santa Claus was just a symbolic figure, you know. But they get, then again, it wasn't part of my religion. So. Like so many things, I think it's relative. It's a matter of degree. And at what point do you do this? Do you phase this in or phase this out? Whenever of? they're ready, not whenever you're ready. That is yeah. my point. Er, to err on the side of, of truth. Yes. To err on yes. the side of too soon, maybe. Yes, yes. What harm is done by doing it a little too soon? Way too soon, I see what you're saying. So, you know, whether they're on the borderline or you actually call them lies, 
exaggeration is a lie, and a broken promise is a lie. Even though when you made the promise, you intended it to be the truth, it ended up not being the truth. And exaggeration, well, no harm was meant. The fish wasn't really quite that big, but, you know, you did catch a fish. The idea of being able to lie like that and get away with it and there's no ramifications, that's that's... A lot of people do it for that reason, but it's a bad habit to set up. And the truth is that if your self-esteem depends on them thinking you caught a fish that was four inches bigger than it actually was, that's really what you want to take a look at. You know, a lot of what we call lying or exaggeration in this way does come from the fish getting bigger and bigger. A lot of stuff we remember grows. I don't know if it's uh, I don't know exactly what that is other than maybe remembering is remembering the last time you remember it. In many cases, and not most cases, it is. And so, so that's why and if it felt good remembering it that big, yeah. how good would it feel remembering yeah. it that big? Yeah. You know? Exactly. So I think it's not just the fisherman that has that problem. I think a lot of us do. And, and again, Steve, I want to emphasize, we got to ask ourselves, is this coming from fear or from love? Is it coming from instinct, that gut feeling but really low, on the chakra system, or that higher uh, love, that upper tummy aspiring toward the heart kind of uh, maybe reaching all the way into the heart, this just glorious love. And if you apply that simple standard, you know, is this a deep pull, an instinct, a fear-based reaction that's, that's tempting me here, or is it really coming from love and peace? Again, the intention, I think, behind it is something that we have to consider. Yeah, and certainly you don't have to say everything you think. I mean, you know, there's no lie in withholding lots of things that you think. Dylan said, if my thought dreams could be seen, they'd probably put my head in the guillotine. You know, there's a lot of stuff you can think and not say. But there is lies of omission. You know, like, for example, if you if you go into a contract with someone and you leave out the fact that it's a toxic waste dump that you've built, you know, this, this building on top of or something, there are lies of omission where, although you didn't specifically tell an untruth, the, the fact that you didn't reveal something, in essence, is a lie. There are other, I'm not sure logically what they're called, philosophically what the term is for the kind of lie that is technically true, but is intended to mislead. For example, I heard some supposedly conservative uh, politician the other day saying that global warming had to be a fraud because we all know carbon dioxide is not poisonous. The problem, of course, being carbon dioxide causes the greenhouse effect, which is a very different process. Global warming is not pollution. It's the greenhouse effect. So what he said was basically true, you know, it's stupid. the second part of it anyway. Uh, the conclusion he drew was wrong, obviously. It was simply a non sequitur that revealed his ignorance. But he was smart enough to use it deliberately to mislead people. So now people go, oh, yeah, that's true. He's right. You know, Bill, did you hear that? Of course. it's We all exhale carbon dioxide. The trees love it. Uh, it's what makes the world go round. It must be... A, what lie did he tell? Carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. It is not toxic. And the greenhouse effect has nothing to do with pollution. He just left that little tidbit just out. Just that little piece. So like when the United States beat the Soviet Union in a, a tournament and the headline said, Soviet Union comes in second, U.S. comes in second to last. You know, I mean, it, it's true, but it's certainly, certainly misleading. You remember George Bush, when presented with the evidence that there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, 
He turned to the media and he shrugged and he said, well, there might have been. There might have been. <laughs> That's good enough, isn't it? Those kind of lies killed how many people, you know? How about cynicism coming from all of this? I mean, is there a point where some people on the fence sort of throw in the towel and lower their standards and really betray themselves by saying, well, lying is just so pervasive and corruption so widespread that... What the hell? Might as well turn off the governor here and stop monitoring it and just whatever comes out, whatever BS I can sling, I'll sling it. Everybody's doing it anyway. Yeah. I'm concerned about a lot of folks in the middle. What would you say? Giving up hope, I guess. Becoming yeah, well, that cynical. Yeah, becoming that cynical and just you know feeling so hurt all the time that it's easier to expect the worst and prepare for it and not to get their hopes up because if they get their hopes up, they're probably going to be dashed and there's more disappointment and who wants to live like that? So they, they dumb down and they, they emote down and they live just, you know, or survive, I guess is a better word than even live. And a lot of people do that. You know, a lot of people do that. But you don't have to do that because it feels way better to tell the truth, even if the truth is not the most wonderful thing to say. You can always, as Paul Simon said, give some tenderness beneath your honesty. You can always do the truth in the most loving and gentle way as you possibly can, at least. Truth doesn't have to be hurtful or mean or hard-edged or cruel or cutting. It can be as gentle and loving as possible. But, you know, you don't have to say everything, but you have to say everything important, and you have to say the truth, I think. In many esoteric philosophy traditions, truth is a synonym for spiritual love. Again, not, not emotional love, or certainly not lust, but the highest, most refined frequencies of compassion. And sometimes you'll even see it written in philosophy books, love truth, with a hyphen between, love truth. So to lie is to, to lie is to betray love, because love is the truth, and to seek the truth. All, all I've pretty much been interested in my whole life, initially as a journalist, and I got the answers I was looking for, and then transitioned through human potential and psychology into philosophy, and, and as a philosopher, you find there's no end to the truth. It just unfolds like a fractal, but you got to dedicate yourself to it. you got to be honest mostly with yourself. You can't BS yourself. Sometimes I think, my ego does a real good job of dressing up like my better nature and and rationalizing some selfish, destructive behavior or attitude or belief system. A little game I start to play. And then, of course, because I practice the tools that we share every week, we're about to do an audio journey. I can recover from that. I, I'd like to be able to live there. I, I can't. I haven't been able to. Never met anybody who could live in a body in this world and remain that conscious. You get sucked out into it, into that ball of confusion. But practicing the tools, the techniques, the philosophies and the skills that Steve and I are bringing you in the same way it is our practice, you can radically reduce the amount of time it takes to recover. To wake up and go, wait a minute, I recognize this train of thought. I remember this trap that I got in. It just took me down into depression and hopelessness and cynicism. And Then you remember, if you picked it up, you can put it down. Uh, 
and you just drop it like yesterday's garbage and yesterday's newspaper. Yeah, my process was overcoming exaggeration. That was always my nemesis, and I used to do it a lot, and I started to do it less and less. I think it was a matter of becoming good enough, you know, the fear of inadequacy, but, but ultimately in dropping exaggeration, it just made life a whole lot easier, you know. Sometimes I don't come out looking as shiny as I'd like to look in some stories, but, you know, I can live with that. You I know? think the truth I mean, shines brighter, Yeah, it, 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 ultimately it does. And, and so to me right now in my life, simplify, tell the truth, you know, you don't have to say everything you think. I don't have to encounter uh, uh, negative situations very often anymore at all. But it, in my relationship especially, and I think in really in most important relationships, it's it just be careful of making promises because – when you make a promise, then until you fulfill the promise, the person you made the promise thinks this is like a lie in waiting. You know, they, they, they haven't told the truth yet until they fulfill the promise. My wife asked me the other day to brush the dogs. I said, I, I said I'd do it, and she was waiting for me to do it. And all that time, it's like he might not do it. If he doesn't do it, then he's broken the promise. And I'm thinking I'm telling the truth until I get to the point where, oh, I forgot to do it. So what I said was, I'll, I'll brush the dogs by 7 o'clock tonight. And at that point, she knew she didn't need to think about it or bother me, and, and the promise was clear. So when you do make a promise, either make a clear promise, you know, that, that you can not this open-ended thing that during that time that you haven't yet fulfilled it, they feel like you might lie. It's not a comfortable place for them to be. So when you make a promise to someone, make it clear when you'll fulfill it by, how you'll fulfill it, be as accurate as possible. And in a relationship, that's the kind of lies that really are, you know, good-natured. You're you're meaning to tell the truth, but you just it just doesn't turn out that way. Be very careful about that. Well, that's a great point. To be wary of promises that we make. If you're going to make a commitment and have your integrity intact at the end of the of the day, do it consciously. And what's the most awake, aware, and conscious state? We call it paradise, alpha thinking. Let's do it now. Close your eyes. And relax. Take a deep breath. Deep breath. And as you release, begin to feel a sense of feeling safe, feeling relaxed, feeling at ease, feeling really nice here in paradise and with every breath you release let go of tension feel more peace mind focused and clear embracing love releasing fear and being here What if you really did not need to lie? Would you rather live a life that is free from lies and free from having to remember and sort and keep track of all those falsehoods? Which would be easier? And consider 
why is lying so stressful? And what am I releasing? What am I letting go of when I tell the truth and just sort of keep it real and let it all hang out? What's that mean? What's that really mean? And suffer the consequences of being so upfront. How much suffering do you suppose there'd really be if the truth were known? So imagine now, just pretend, that all the lies you ever told are released now and forgiven. Not one do you continue to hold. They're all gone, they're all clear, and with them all the fear that any will ever be revealed. Just pretend, just imagine that all the lies gone by for all of them, you're completely healed. And now imagine a life going forward with the truth, the only way. It's easier, it's more peaceful. It makes the entire thing more like play. You don't have to remember all the things that you said, and there's no feeling of remorse, no feeling of dread. It's just a gentle, loving, peaceful life free of tension and free of strife. Tell the truth and see how easy life can be. And healed is forgiving yourself. Meaning simply that you understand and can now put it down. Because from now on, you realize there's no need to lie. To thine own self be true is the way the father taught the son in Hamlet. And then, you can't betray anybody. Know thyself. Be true to thyself. Follow your heart. Use your mind. But when you have a powerful feeling, a kick in the belly, and you're not sure if that's an oh no or an oh boy, whether that's an instinct from fear or an intuition born of love and light and a deep and powerful understanding, Come to paradise. You can do it in a moment. You're here now. Breathe and relax and feel it. What is the quality of your intention to live your life from this point forward? And make it be easy and simple. The truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, even a servant of truth, as you discern it to be, not Steve's truth, not my truth, not somebody else's truth. Honor the mastery within you to discern absolute truth and relative truth for you. And the truth will set you free. It will allow you the option to be peaceful and calm. 
quiet inside. Nothing to run from, nothing to hide. Tell the truth. And it flows. And everybody knows. Because the truth feels right to them too. Tell the truth, most important to you. So when you move into this paradise place, the way you know something's true is you say it inside your mind and you find whether it causes relaxation or tension in you. If it's a lie, you'll find your breathing gets shallow, your muscles get tight and tense. And if it's the truth, you'll find that you sigh in relief and feel better and better. And hence, it's easy to know. Just simply go to this paradise place within and say it and ask yourself, is this really true? And the answer comes from within. Feel how this commitment to truth, to your personal truth, how that feels in your body. Rather than carry that feeling, Imagine it everywhere, equally present around you. This commitment to truth, the ease, the grace, and the elegance, it comes with being that open, honest, upfront, and again, a servant of truth, dedicated to truth from your point of view, following no one. Bring that feeling with you back into the room. As you take a nice, slow, deep breath now, fill your lungs, hold as you peek, and uh, as you exhale, open your eyes, wide awake and alert now, rested and refreshed, and oh, it feels good to tell the truth, to be able to tell the truth, and uh, to let all that stuff from yesterday and the day before, let that float on downstream, spilt milk, it's all yesterday's news. Cool. I did this exercise with some CEOs just a couple weeks ago in Ohio where I had them uh, get in touch with the truth. Uh, and the question that they were looking at was, uh, what else do you want to be great at? I think that's a great way to find out the truth. Ask yourself that question. What else do you want to be great at? And see what answers you come up with. Because you'll know what's true and what's a lie and, and uh, what's an exaggeration and what's actually real. So, and, and another great question to ask yourself, I think one of your favorites is, what do you care about the most? Yeah. That's another great way to find out your own truth. That's the Tin Man in Oz for yeah, me, it, is what makes it, you tick. Yeah, yeah <laughs> indeed, indeed. We want to remind you, go to the website, focusedpassion.com, and use the built-in player there. I know a lot of you have sent this subscription to your iTunes software that's on your computer, uh, to the RSS reader that's built into all the different browsers, and maybe you don't even come to the website that often, but... Right under the audio player that's built in is a share one with a friend device. It's a nice thing to do for other people. It's like sending a little greeting card. And Well, sure, folks get your email, but how about tucking in a really valuable personal empowerment audio program? One of these programs that you really like and reminded you, perhaps, of this friend or this associate from work. Just go to focusedpassion.com. 
login. I bet your browser even remembers the login information. One click and you're there. Send one to a friend. It's absolutely free. And then on the same page, you can look at all the unpurchased audio programs that you haven't gotten. And maybe a particular one will strike your fancy right now. So we've got coming up on 100 programs in our audio library. So send one to a friend. If you see one in that unpurchased ones that you'd like for a friend, for 99 cents, you can get that and send it to as many people as you like. So lots of stuff available to you. And come to the website, FocusedPassion.com. It's got a whole new look. We've got a whole new message. We'd like you to help yourself. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. For Steve Snyder, this is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.